As you remain standing, would you join me in the fundamental confession of faith of God's people, the Shema. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. And together we say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Scripture comes to us this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. When his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, before they got together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he decided to uh, put her away privately so that she would not have to face public disgrace. After he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. For what is conceived in her is through the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a child and you will give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken long ago through the prophet. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a child, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from the dream, he did exactly as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home to be his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I don't know about you, but even without caller ID, I can tell within about five seconds whether the person who's called me on the other end of the line really knows me or not. I can tell by whether they use my first name or another name, or if they try to use my first and last name, what do they do with my last name? I can tell whether they really know me. Names are important. I want to be known. I don't know if you have this experience now. You call customer service or you're trying to deal with somebody, and you'll notice now they're trying to use your name more often. And so when I talk to customer service and they're trying to use my name, I decide how upset with them I am already when I've called them. And if I'm already upset with them, then I'm going to let them struggle through Magnitsky and let them try to figure out how to say it. If I'm already pretty pleased with them, I'll give them a hint and bail them out. We all love it when people know our name and use it. Years ago, I was doing in another church a baptism, and I knew the grandparents, I knew the parents, uh, the aunts and uncles, so they were active part of the church. But in the course of the baptism ceremony, I mispronounced their last name, which I knew very well how to do it. It just was one of those moments. They looked at me, said something about it afterwards, and then never again came back to the church. An overreaction? Maybe, but all of us like our names called. We want people to know our names. You know, Jesus not only knew the names of his 12 disciples, according to Scripture, he actually gave them nicknames. And usually we give nicknames to people uh, for whom we have some uh, affinity or, uh, or we're pleased with them or we know them in, uh, in some way. And so for James and John, the sons of Zebedee, he gave them the nickname Sons of Thunder. Now, it's hard to know if this nickname was for something they'd already exhibited uh, usually in our house, when somebody gets a nickname, it's because we've already noticed something about them, a, a characteristic or 
a, a habit perhaps or, or an attitude usually that we've already experienced lends to a nickname. So maybe James and John had already been rather thunderous. We do know in the Gospel of Luke when they passed through a town that rejected Jesus, these sons of thunder asked Jesus if they could pray and have God strike this village down with fire just like Elijah did. So perhaps they were thunderous kinds of brothers. Uh, or it, did he give the nickname not for something they had done, but perhaps something they would do? Because Simon, he gave the nickname Peter, which means rock. But you look all the way through the scripture, and Peter seems to be anything but a rock in, in key moments. And so sometimes we wonder if Jesus was not commenting with this nickname on who Simon was, but maybe was going to share with him who he would be. Maybe that name had something to do with his future and, and with his destiny. In fact, in the Hebrew world, world uh, names often have to do with destinies with what you hope or pray for uh, the person who's being named. When we were in Israel in 2007, our bus driver was uh, waiting for a grand, uh, grandbaby at any moment. Grandbaby. So every day we said, have you heard, have you heard? And finally, a grandson, which pleased him greatly. And because we were American Christians, immediately we said, well, what's his name? Uh, we did not know that what they do with uh, these um, children of Orthodox Jews in Israel is they pray about the name for a week after the child is born. And they pray to God saying, what kind of child is this to be? What are you hoping to do through this child? And then on the eighth day, they give the child a name, which in many ways will uh, reveal the child's destiny that the parents have deciphered uh, from God and from listening to God's voice through others. You can see some evidence of this in the Bible. Uh, David is called the beloved, but uh, David and Bathsheba uh, get into some trouble. There's an extramarital relationship. But when they get married, there's a child born, and they name him Solomon. But God sends a message and says, I want you to name him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. Now, David, as you may know, means beloved. And it was as if God was saying, the destiny for your son is I will love him like I've loved you. And even though you messed up and David did mess up, I still loved you. And I watched over your kingdom. I want you to know that even if your son messes up, I will still love him and watch over him. This name was Solomon's destiny. He would still be beloved of a God. Now, sometimes God doesn't do the name changing. Sometimes people decide on their own name change to reflect what they hope will be their destiny. The most famous example of this is in the New Testament. Uh, the apostle uh, Saul, he's called Shaul in Hebrew, when he gets to a Roman city and has his first, com um, uh, has his first convert, whose name is Sergius Paulus, we're told that Paul changed, Saul changes his name to Paul. Now, for often we were taught, well, that's just Saul in, in, uh, in the Greek world, but that's not close at all. It doesn't even rhyme. Shaul doesn't rhyme with Paulus at all. What we see, if you look at it more closely, is that Paul is now naming his destiny. His destiny is to go into the Roman Empire. His very first convert there in Pisidian Antioch, which was a military town uh, and also a, a retirement town for military, sort of like San Antonio of, of that world, of that part of the Roman Empire, uh, the great figure was the Paulus family. In fact, we saw, uh, when I was there a couple months ago, uh, monuments that were inscribed, the money given to this monument was given by the Paulus family. 
And Sergius Paulus as the proconsul was sort of like Condoleezza Rice or, or Colin Powell. He was like the secretary of state of the whole Roman Empire. And that's the first convert. And what Paul does apparently is take his name of the first convert as a way of saying, that's my destiny. I'm going into Rome. It's almost as if you decided that God had called you into politics. So you changed your name to Kennedy or Roosevelt or, or Bush, some family with a long history of politics in this nation. That's what Paul does. It's his destiny. There are a couple of indications in the Bible when God gives a name change that definitely indicates a change in destiny. One of the most famous ones in the Old Testament, there's a guy named Abram. And God changes his name to Abraham, which means you will be a father to many nations. You're going to have more kids than there's sand on the seashore who are descended from you. So this name is his destiny. There was another guy. He was actually related to Abraham. His name was Jacob. Do you remember what God changed his name to? Anybody? Changed Jacob into Israel. This guy would be the forerunner of a nation, of an entire group of people still here today. What's his destiny, this name? So when God gives you a name, that's really huge. Well, in the days uh, between the Old and New Testament, people expected a Messiah, but they didn't know the Messiah's name. What was his destiny? What were they going to call him? God had not revealed it yet. And God finally chose to reveal this name, to reveal this destiny. I don't know if how God kept it secret, if God had it in some hermetically sealed jar that none of the angels could open or some briefcase with a, a lock and key. We don't know. But when it was time for this name to be announced, this greatest of all destinies to be revealed, God used, we can borrow from the movie, a transporter. God used someone to carry that name and that load. And this transporter's name was Joseph. He was to carry this name that would change not only the destiny of a people, but really change the destiny of every person sitting in this room. There's one problem, though. In order for Joseph to carry this name and bestow it on this baby, he was going to have to overcome a major hurdle. You see, this baby who had not yet been born was, going, was conceived outside of wedlock, outside of marriage. Joseph was engaged to Mary, but he wasn't the father. He was going to have to give this name to a child who by our standards today would be considered illegitimate, if there is such a thing. Joseph would have to put his reputation on the line Nazareth was not a town like it is today of hundreds of thousands of people. There are probably a few hundred people in Nazareth. And you can bet when Mary turned up pregnant, people were talking. And eyes were watching. It was no small obstacle to overcome to give this name to that child. And what was the name? The name of this child's destiny was Yeshua. Joshua in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, which basically means God's going to save us. You will call him Jesus, said the angel, because he will save his people from their sins. In other words, every person in this room, sins are forgiven because that was his destiny. That's what he was born to do. That's what he came to do. And he learned that with his naming. He would be the one who would save the people.
This is the greatest name in all of history. And it was entrusted to a man named Joseph who faithfully gave him the name, even though Joseph's own reputation would take some hits. His sanity would be questioned. His own plans would be overridden because Joseph actually has a pretty good plan. It's like, well, Mary's pregnant. I'm not the father. I could have her stoned. I could make a big fuss about it. But you know what? I'm just going to not make life any worse for her than it's going to be already. Quietly, I'll just, just divorce her, take care of this. Nobody has to talk any more than is necessary. Joseph had a pretty good plan, a way he was going to handle it. But that wasn't the way God was going to handle it. God wasn't going to have the eternal destiny of the entire planet kept a secret and handled quietly. And so God says, you will name this child, you will name him in public, and this is the name that you will give him. And so Joseph gives him this name. And in giving them this name, he gives him his destiny. He gives him our destiny. But that's not all. That's the most important part, but there's one other thing. Joseph also takes Mary home, so he'll take the baby home. So he gives Jesus a family. He will not grow up without a father. He will not grow up without being surrounded by family. He is given a name, and he's given Joseph's family name. He's given the reputation of Joseph. He will not have to go through life as one marked by the fact that he has no father, no reputation to go before him. He will be taken into his father's family. He gives him his eternal destiny and his eternal name, but he also gives him an earthly name. Ah, you're Joseph's son. We know Joseph. It's a good guy. You must be a good guy. He walks into that family reputation. And Joseph does this at some cost. And I have to assume that people in town wondered just what in the world Joseph was up to. Why would he risk his reputation by giving his family name to this child born out of wedlock? I don't know if people understood it in Joseph's day. I don't know if they understood it 30 years later. I don't even know if they understood it 100 years later. But looking back, we get it today. We know that he was making a name and a place for this child who would give all of us a name and give all of us a place for eternity. They may not have known what was going on at the time. I don't know if you've been watching uh, the advertisements, but there's a movie coming out in a couple weeks, and it's about the plot to overthrow Hitler. July 20th, 1944, they set off a bomb uh, intended to kill Hitler. The bomb went off all right, but Hitler uh, survived it. Hitler's response was to have the Gestapo round up hundreds of people and kill them after sham and mock, uh, mock trials, really. Uh, the leader of, for to believe history, uh, the leader of this uh, revolt, this plan, von Stauffenberg was doing it for what he thought was the good of his country and the good of the world to take them out of war. But people didn't understand at the time, and, and when it happened, he died and other conspirators died, and they were viewed by the German people as traitors. Even a decade later, they were still thought to be traitors for trying to kill Hitler. In a documentary I saw last week, they were interviewing the, the lead conspirator's son. And he said he was, I think, in older elementary or early junior school. And he was having trouble in school. So the parents had, one of, the mother had one of those you know, parent-teacher conferences. And the parent-teacher conference, the, the mother and the teacher are talking about his trouble in school. And finally the teacher says, is so-and-so his father? And she named the lead conspirator and his 
wife said of her late husband, well, yes, he is the father. And the teacher's response is, no wonder he's having trouble in school. He's the son of a traitor. And for years, people looked at conspirators that way. Late in the 50s, they made a couple movies about the plot to kill Hitler, and things started to change a bit. But it wasn't until the Berlin Wall was torn down more than 40 years later that as the German Republic looked for its identity by reflecting on its past to shape its future, that they began to look at these conspirators as heroes who had actually risked their life to save their country and to try to take the world out of war. For 45 years, people had no idea why they did what they did, and they attributed them the worst of motives. But now they look back and see what patriots they really were. I don't know if people got what Joseph was doing. People in town, the heads must have wagged, the tongues must have been loose about it. They didn't understand. But years later, we get it. And we stand here with an eternal destiny because some man offered to give Jesus the gift not only of his eternal name, but of his reputation and character and earthly name. I simply ask as we go forward into the Advent season, what are you doing for the good name of Jesus? How do you protect his reputation? What do you do to spread news of his destiny to this world?